Welcome to Policy in Plainer English, where today we're discussing the telephone. We would see 15 to 17 patients a day. A lot of our patients came from as far as 50 miles away, a very high Medicare population, people who are sometimes quite ill and don't see a physician on a regular basis. And when the whole pandemic started, people were very frightened. They did not want to come to the hospital or go to any clinic or be in any kind of medical situation, including urgent care. So we had to come up with a way of treating our patients without actually seeing them or without them going to the emergency room. And what we did very quickly, amazingly very quickly, we got telehealth going and we did first phone interviews and then we advanced to video. The video is more difficult in this area, first because of lack of Wi-Fi in some of the smaller towns. And people, especially the Medicare population, don't know how to um, use their video on their phone. They might know how to FaceTime their grandchildren, but not always. And a lot of them still have landlines. So that was very difficult. So what we would do is with our older population or people who didn't have Wi-Fi or just had landlines, we would just use telephone interviews. And it's sometimes very challenging. That's Dr. Audrey Von Lapel, the chief medical officer at Notch Health Center, which covers Franklin County in northern Vermont. Previous episodes in this special series on telehealth have set the scene for making a rapid transition to providing healthcare remotely during COVID-19. One part of that transition was finding ways to reach people who might not have easy access to the video-based platforms that make up what we think of as traditional telemedicine. Traditional here refers to prior to the public health emergency. We go back six weeks to get nostalgic. There is, rightly, a lot of discussion about how to connect people to interactive video feeds for telehealth. It's a goal that combines broadband access, affordability, equipment, and digital literacy. At the same time, we shouldn't lose sight of how effective a phone call can be. Telephone calls are particularly helpful during COVID-19 because patients do not want to leave their homes. They feel they're frightened, especially the elderly population. And they're having their grandchildren bring their groceries to them. They don't even go into the grocery store, let alone a physician's office. So last week, I had a woman call in to get her medications refilled so her daughter could go to the pharmacy and get them. And when I was talking to her on the phone, she happened to say, you know, I feel kind of out of sorts. I'm kind of off. I'm dizzy. And I said, so anything else going on? No. I said, you don't take anything for your blood pressure, do you? No. So we had her blood pressure taken, and it came back quite high at 210 over 110. And that was really frightening for me. So what we did was we um, were able to call in the medication. Somebody went to the pharmacy and got her the medication. And we had her call back three hours later, and her pressure came down to a much more acceptable range. Another patient we had over the weekend called in with lower abdominal pain, left lower quadrant pain, um, mild fever, very uncomfortable, has a history of diverticulitis, had a recent colonoscopy. We reviewed the notes very carefully and then decided to treat her because she refused to go to the emergency room. And we treated her with antibiotic, and she followed up by phone today. So those, in those two cases, we prevented, first of all, an ER visit, and the other woman was a, definitely a life-saving measure or intervention because she had malignant hypertension. Life-saving is good. That's a basic healthcare premise. Now, in the world of telehealth, there are some different flavors of phone call. 
There are the short, patient-initiated calls that are sometimes called triage calls, contacting healthcare providers with a concern that didn't necessarily lead to a visit. These went way up at the start of COVID-19. There's also short calls that are pre-scheduled or initiated by a provider to check in, for example, as part of a program to help manage chronic conditions. Then there are phone calls that are replacing an office visit, usually when a visit needs to happen remotely, but there isn't a good way to connect by video. This last category is pretty much new to the emergency, something that's been added as a COVID-19 response. And it's not just in rural areas. Here's Dr. Adam Greenlee, Medical Director of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at the Community Health Centers of Burlington, Vermont's most urban FQHC. In response to COVID-19 and the isolation, quarantine, and social distancing recommendations and orders that happened in March, we transitioned to nearly totally telehealth services with some in-person services. I don't have the most recent numbers, but I know over the course of two to three weeks, we transitioned from essentially all of our visits being in person to nearly 90% of our visits being telehealth. In thinking about this and in talking about it, one of the things that is almost impossible to think through and comprehend is how rapidly this change took place and the ask of our healthcare system in the way that we provide care from the scheduling desk on down to the provider, but also the IT support that was required for this change. It's almost incomprehensible to think about the change that happened over that time. And I think the only way that we thought that we could respond to this and trying to do this as best we can, because it was such a big change, was to focus on patient care and whatever that might look like and trying to meet the needs of our patients and be clinically responsible and appropriate during this time of transition, knowing that it was going to be imperfect and challenging and we would have any number of roadblocks coming up in front of us. And one of those challenges was that we take care of a disparate group of of individuals who have different resources at their disposal. One of the challenges that we ran into prior to COVID-19 was the fact that many of our patients that we work with don't have reliable phone connections, don't have reliable internet connections, don't have reliable communication at all, whether it's because of financial resources or because of where they're located and geography limiting their access to broadband internet access or even cellular access that would allow for an internet connection and allow for video services. So there were many, many barriers to who had access to video platforms and to be able to do the audio and video. And so I think the the biggest barriers were in trying to get people and everyone as much as possible onto the audio and video resources. Many people just didn't have the capability for that. You might have missed it in the middle there, but Dr. Greenlee's point on clinical decision-making to do what's best for the patient is obviously critical. Clinicians are only going to use a telephone when it's medically appropriate. That's rule number one. But also, the FQHCs in Vermont have retained in-person options during COVID-19. Clinicians have had the opportunity to bring people in for care when it's indicated. That's important as we think about the various ways of decision-making, not just during a pandemic, but in future scenarios. Our first choice is that everyone has a great immune system and easy in-person access. But what happens if, for example, a flu introduces a threat, or a patient is a no-show because they can't get transportation to a clinic? In some cases, telephone might be the right option. 
while there are certainly circumstances where a video connection and having that face-to-face -face is helpful and allows for more clinical information to be gathered, there are many situations where that video connection may actually not add any additional information over and above a telephone-only connection. And we're constantly weighing risks and benefits of different treatments and different interventions in the practice of medicine. And the weighing the risk and benefit of what information do we have and what information do we not have via a telephone encounter, via a telephone and video encounter, or asking that person to come into the office and placing them in the additional risk of potential spread of the coronavirus. Those are risk-benefit decisions that we're constantly weighing. So in some ways, I don't think that the telephone encounter is a completely novel experience, we're still using the same sorts of risk-benefit decision-making that we do in our everyday clinical practice. It is shifted somewhat because the risks and the benefits are somewhat different, but I think as clinicians, this fits within our paradigm of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. Plus, while we talk about clinicians weighing risks and benefits, patients are also doing the same thing. We also decide we don't want to go to an office and risk coronavirus exposure. Or maybe we don't want to risk driving through a snowstorm or losing wages for taking time off work. And we may also decide that a telephone is how we connect best. My older patients tend to be more comfortable with the telephone. They're used to that. I think they find the video a little bit of an invasion of their privacy. I find that a lot of them um, find a blank wall and sit in front of that and they're a little uncomfortable. And I notice that they're kind of um, rearranging themselves because they feel a little uncomfortable and they're um, not as fluent when they speak. But when you have them on the phone, they're very fluent and very forthcoming with their symptoms and their complaints and their ideas. A telephone can be an excellent way to engage patients during and outside of emergencies. And an emergency can really highlight the importance of always searching for these pathways to engagement. I've worked with an individual with several chronic medical conditions and complications of past accidents who is geographically isolated, partially because that's the community that the individual is more comfortable in, but also because of actions and it's a, a more affordable community to live in as a result of the disability that this individual faces, an ongoing financial constraint, reliable transportation is a challenge. Internet and broadband availability is not accessible um, because of financial and geographic constraints. So outside of office visits, the only option for interactions is via the telephone. In the recent weeks related to the restrictions in our clinic because of coronavirus, this individual had an exacerbation of an underlying chronic condition that I was aware of because I've worked with this individual for a while and we know each other well and have worked, worked together to manage some of these concerns. Because of this exacerbation, we had to obtain additional information. I had to try to triage the situation over the phone and obtain the information that I needed. I felt that because of my past knowledge of the individual and our ongoing treatment plan, I was able to get enough information to change our current treatment plan that would allow us to escalate our treatment without needing him to come into the office for a physical exam at that time or for additional in-person evaluation at that time. He was significantly anxious about the concern that he may need to come into the office over the phone, we were able to allay that anxiety 
to come up with a plan that we were both confident in as a next step and hopefully lead us towards some stabilization. We're learning a lot right now, because we have to, about the best way to combine the various tools available to deliver the best care to patients when that care needs to be done remotely. Because of temporary policy changes, providers have unprecedented flexibility in understanding how to put these tools together. One thing that I have been thinking a lot about is that clinical decision-making point and that weighing of risk and benefits that we are frequently making in the clinical setting and how that applies to using the telephone only. I think that we're just beginning to better understand what the importance of the in-office visit is and where it provides additional information and where it provides an additional service, either via just eye contact and human contact in that way or the human touch of the physical exam and how important that can be in some situations. And also how maybe that everything that is a part of coming into the office can be an extraordinary burden for some people because of transportation and geography and just the time that it takes to prepare and come into the office. And as we're continuing to weigh out those risks and benefits of where does telephone only fit in and where does an office visit fit in and where does the audio and video platform fit in. I think that we're only just beginning to understand that. And as we continue to think about those things, there will be certain individuals that we recognize and realize that telephone only services are a great way to augment the other elements of care. And there are going to be some situations where that's just not an appropriate way of utilizing the ways that we can reach out and provide care. And I think that we're, there's a lot of learning that we have to do in the healthcare community. And there's a lot of learning that we're going to have to do on the side of accessing healthcare from other communication standpoints of other, other healthcare providers or, or from the patient perspective of what is the appropriate utilization of this kind of service. As I'm thinking about that, I'm continuing to try to keep in mind just that very, very first thing that I mentioned of what does the best care look like and what does appropriate patient care look like. And if we continue to stay focused on that, I think that's going to be sort of a guiding principle as we continue to figure out the benefits and the pitfalls of the different modes of telehealth provision. This time of learning won't last forever, and we shouldn't oversell the opportunity providers have been given. Medicaid and Vermont's commercial plans recognize telephone as a platform for providing telemedicine during COVID-19, equal to other platforms. Medicare, however, does not recognize audio-only telephone as a mechanism for full health services, offering instead a few low-paying options for patient-initiated calls. Plus, we don't know what any of these telephone options will look like after the emergency ends, although we do know that many of the factors that make a telephone an essential connection will remain. Dr. Greenlee emailed me after our interview to double-check that I understood how central the issue of equity is in allowing the telephone to deliver care. It's not just a question of who has access to broadband, but also of who has easy access to reaching the office. All the barriers, financial, transportation, access to paid sick time for work, access to childcare, a frail immune system, they all weigh on a patient's decision to come to the office. And if a patient knows they'll never manage an office visit, then they'll likely never contact their medical provider in the first place. Hopefully, 
having deployed all available tools to reach patients in the time of COVID-19, we won't abandon them again once the emergency ends. It's a topic we will continue to explore in future episodes of the Policy in Plainer English podcast.